It's, uh, it's good to be here with everybody this morning and to be able to worship God. Uh, it's uh, a beautiful morning. It's, it's foggy and it's a little, little chilly, but it's still beautiful. It's God's creation. And, you know, if everything were the same all the time, it would be quite boring, wouldn't it? Uh, but, you know, the Lord has blessed us with seasons and we are starting to get a glimpse of another one. And, and uh, you know, we, we can be thankful for that. Um, you know, we, we, we talk about 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 a lot, and, you know, we, we want to make sure that we're following the Word of God, and we know that following the Word of God, you know, that's perfect, it's complete, it's from God, and so it's, it's, it's absolutely perfect, and we can learn from it, we can apply it to our lives, uh, but sometimes, you know, we, we, you know, I think we say it. Uh, but we don't wholeheartedly do it. You know, we don't wholeheartedly follow in and say, you know, hey, the Word of God is perfect. It's complete. Um, I know that I can get stuff from it, but then again, you know, we might not study like we should or whatnot. But let's, let's take a moment this morning and really look at the Word of God as it is and make some application uh, to us this morning. You know, there's a a major event happened on uh, August 24th in AD 79. Uh, it's one of the most tragic circumstances of human history. You know, there was a time when people realized that they were almost literally living in the shadow of a monster. That monster was Mount Vesuvius. Mount Vesuvius uh, decided that it was time to erupt. And people along its pathway felt the destruction. I think there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from this incident in, in history. And the first thing is this. Number one, we know that the people at Pompeii and Herculaneum that by and large, they were not living right. Well, how do we know that? Well, you know, when you think about Pompeii, we, we don't really, uh, you know, we, we know about its destruction and, and all that, but some, sometimes we forget that it was basically a resort. It was a vacation destination. This is where the rich people went. And so they decided that to go here, and they just, you know, it's kind of the same thought process as you hear about today. You know, what was it they say about Vegas? You know, what happens in Vegas, what? Stays in Vegas. Now, that's kind of the thought process here. You know, hey, you know, we can go to Pompeii and we can live it up. Matter of fact, you know, they had slaves that, that worked for them. And the slaves did everything to their chores to uh, sexually pleasing them. They had all sorts of pornographic material that, that was... Uh, lining the buildings and whatnot, all sorts of horrible things, bars and whatnot. You think about depravity in the world, and you know they had it. And their society was not something to be attained, although many wanted to be a part of it. We know that they weren't living right. They had brothels all over the place. 
We know. But what is it that we should do? Let's look at Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 7. Colossians 3, 5 through 7. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Now, I, I love this passage, and you couple it with, with uh, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. The idea that, you know, there, there are all sorts of bad things in the world. And even Christians today had at one point been a part of those things. But they are no longer a part of those things. Because when you become a Christian, you are sanctified. You're separated from everybody else. You are set apart for a holy purpose. And it's because of the things that, that we've mentioned, all these uh, unclean things, that God is coming again. He's going to come again to save those who are doing what's right and to condemn those who are doing unrighteous deeds. In Galatians chapter 6, Galatians 6 verses 7 and 8, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You know, what, what do you care more about? Do you care more about fleshly desires? Or do you care more about spiritual things? Now, now whatever you decide, you're going to get. But there are consequences to those things. If you sow to the flesh, then you will of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, then guess what? You will reap everlasting life. You know, there's a there's an old old story, an Indian story, and and the the thought is that there there's a father and he's talking to his son, and the son asks, you know, is is having some difficulties in life because he's he's you know doing all these horrible things, and his father finally sits him down and and he says, look, you're being unruly, and I need to tell you something. He said, and every one of us. There are two wolves fighting. One wolf represents everything that is good. And one wolf represents everything that is bad. Those wolves are constantly fighting within you, son. And he says, well, which one wins? Whichever one you feed the most. We need to make sure that we are living right, brethren. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21 says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, uh, drunkenness, revelries, 
and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you look at this list of things, and it's it's given all these these categories, and uh, I like I like what it says here. It names off all these things, and then verse twenty one, it says, "and the like." What does that mean? And the like. Now, I, I tell you, there are people in this world who will cheat you. And they will find every loophole that they can in order to do so. And then whenever you call them out, they'll go, Whoa, whoa, you didn't say that I couldn't do this. They'll, they'll, they'll do that and they'll go, Yeah, you know what, I didn't say that, but I didn't have to. Because what did I say? I wanted it done this way. You know, you, you cannot get around that. So when you, when you think about this idea here in Galatians 5, all these things, all these, these bad things that we're mentioning. Well, you know, you didn't say this one thing. Now we go through a, a, you know, adultery and fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries. You didn't mention homosexuality. No, what? And the like. Anything like these things. It's one of those things that, that God did not have to name off every specific thing not to do. He gave broad categories here. And even if he didn't do that, he said live righteously. So we need to do just that. We need to participate in things that are good. Now, I, when I was a youth minister, I had kids that would come up to me and they would they would ask me, well, is it wrong to... And if I could, I'd try to stop them right there. I'm like, wait a second, whoa. You know, I get this a lot at Bible camp. You know, is it okay if I can do this? And they'd, they'd ask me something and I'd go, you know what? If you, this is the general rule here, okay, this is Matt McBrayer's general rule for conduct. If you have to ask me, it's probably wrong. Don't do it. You know, if, if you don't have to ask me, go ahead. You know, you're probably doing something okay, but if you, if you think, oh, I might get in trouble if I do, then don't even ask me. Don't even do it. Don't do anything. Don't do that. Brethren, when we are looking at the scriptures, we need to remember this such like. We cannot get caught up in anything as like any of these things mentioned. So these people at Pompeii and Herculaneum, they, by and large, were not living right. Number two. These people... Many of these people ignored the warnings. No, there were warning signs that the volcano was going to erupt. Matter of fact, um, there was there was talk from time to time that 
there were vol- the, the volcano would cause earthquakes right there. And then they realized that it was in relation to each other. But just a short period of time before Mount Vesuvius erupts, there is a massive earthquake there. And uh, we're not talking about, uh, you know, a, a little thing. We're, we're talking about a pretty big earthquake. And during this earthquake, uh, it's leaving cracks in foundations and in walls and whatnot. And, and when we're talking about these cracks and, and things, we're not talking about little, you know, half inch or something. We're talking about one foot fissures in, in, in these buildings. These are, are big, huge gaps. You know, at the time of the eruption, you can find in places where there is fresh mortar on the walls because they decided, hey, we'll just go ahead and fix this. We're going to fix this place back up. And so they were repairing these buildings that were uh, cracked from this earthquake. Now, obviously, I understand that today we understand a little bit more about the science behind these things. And we understand that, yes, there is a direct relation here. And that before this volcano is going to erupt, there might be uh, some earthquakes that go along with it. It might go on during the process. You know, there are things that we know from science, but you know what? They knew that they related to some degree. And yet they ignored those warnings. Now, some people didn't. There were thousands of people who ended up leaving before the eruption because of the earthquake. And they would just go ahead and get out of here. But there were several who just did not. They had to stay behind. But brethren, what about us? Do we ignore the warnings? Do we ignore the warnings today? In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7 it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees, that is Jesus, uh, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And he said, I, I've given you the warning. Oh, about Psalm 34 and verse 16. Psalm 34, 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. We have warnings for us today we can choose to follow god but if we choose not to follow god then the warning has been given and the punishment ensues these are the consequences you know i it it boggles my mind uh, sometimes Um, but if you ever uh, talk to atheists and whatnot. And I, I'll, I've got a different opinion about this. I don't really believe uh, that there are many real atheists out there. I think that there's just a bunch of people that hate God. Uh, I don't, I don't really believe that because you know when you're talking to these people, they, they don't make arguments saying that you know God doesn't exist. They, you can combat those, and then they come back and say, well, if there was a was a heaven, I'd, I'd choose to go to hell. That's what Dan, uh, was it Dan Barker said. He said, you know, if, if uh, God does exist, then I choose hell. You know what? So many people choose hell anyway. They believe in God. But they completely ignore the warnings. 
God's really not going to punish me, right? I'm a good guy. Uh, I'm living a pretty good life. God wouldn't punch me. You know what? Everybody loves me, right? God won't punish me. Or, you know, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to heaven, you know. I might be by the skin of my teeth, but I won't get there. We cannot ignore the warnings. I can't remember who said it, but there was uh, somebody who uh, <clears throat> said that the uh, greatest deception that Satan ever, ever did was not thinking that, that uh, he did not exist, but the fact that people did not believe that hell existed, or either that, that it didn't matter. It matters, brethren. There is a hell. And we need to stay on the right track in order to stay away from places like that. Brethren, many ignored the warnings in those days, but we best not ignore the warning. Number three, they waited until it was too late. You know these people. They they decided there was people that they stayed around because you know there were there were things going on in that city. They had uh, uh, you know gladiator games going on the day of this eruption. And they had that you know people in this coliseum, this uh, stadium going uh, going nuts over these events. And you know this is the day of the, of the eruption, and you know they they wanted to do what they wanted to do. And they waited until it was absolutely too late. You know, so many people left. I believe the number was somewhere probably around 10,000 people left this place. But all these other people stayed. And then, you know, of course, when it erupts, you know, what happens? Everybody starts heading to the harbors. Everybody's trying to get off. They're trying to get away from this place. But for most of them, that was just way too late to decide to leave. And the majority of the people who did not leave found out that they had made the wrong decision. Brethren, I think there's a couple of really important points here. Number one is a person cannot wait to become a Christian. They should not wait. I, I knew of a young man, and this several years ago, and and he said he wouldn't become a Christian. He just wouldn't do it. And I said, well, you know, what's wrong? You know, and he said, I got some things I need to, I need to change. And I said, okay, there's things I need to change too. Why don't you become a Christian? And do it. And he said, well, I want to, I want to get those things right. Before I do it, I tried to delve in deeper about this, and and he had some struggles. The idea really was he wasn't ready to repent. 
But there are people out there that they want to live the way they want to live. And they want to do that as long as they possibly can. And so they put off the Lord. But you know what? You can do that until it's too late. We cannot wait until it's too late to become a Christian. Think about that in, in, in terms for someone else. You know, I, I have not hidden my disdain uh, for this. I actually, <laughs> when I was in college, I wrote a, wrote a paper. Uh, I, I was told to write a paper on this evangelistic material. Um, the instructor I had was in charge of this evangelistic material. And uh, I explained to him how I thought that it was improper. Um, not because there was anything false taught in it, uh, but it was like a 13-week a study. I said, hey, you know, 13 weeks? Are you kidding me? We, the, all the people in the New Testament that we see, look, look in Acts. When did they obey the gospel? Well, they studied the Bible for 13 weeks. And then, at the end, they became a Christian. No, oh, they don't see that. What do you see? You know, what, what happens in Acts chapter 8? Study with the Ethiopian eunuch. Immediately what? Wants to be baptized. Acts chapter 2, you have all those people there. And what, what happens with them? Well, they, they are told the truth. Well, they, want it. they want to be baptized. It, it doesn't happen over a long period of time. It's just a matter of getting them the information. Now, look, I understand. Some people don't get that as easily as others. And so you have to work with them. I've had... I had the longest study I've ever had was three months long, and that was frequent. It wasn't like a one week, you know, one week and then wait till the next week and do it again. No, we were studying often for three months until finally we got through. But, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of the person. But I think a lot of times, you know, we make it a matter of the teacher. You know, some people want to just go and they want to teach for for a long period of time before they, they get to become a Christian and, you know, brethren, we need to start where they are. Yeah, do you look at Acts chapter 2? No, did, did, did they go, you know, of course we, we have the plan of salvation, or what do we see? You know, uh, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. You know, look at Acts chapter 2. They're there hearing the word of God, and we go, well, you know, first thing you've got to do is you've got to hear. So let's let you hear a little bit longer. No, no, we don't have to do that, right? Well, what you need to do is you need to, you need to believe. I already believed. I have to start there. What did Peter tell them? Repent and be baptized. You know, they, they, realized, they realized that they had crucified the Son of God. And they wanted to make it right. They didn't know if they even could make it right. And it was taught them. We don't need to wait when it comes to teaching because time is of the essence. And you, you hear sometimes people go, well, you know, talking about baptism, you know, we, we, we teach just as the scriptures teach that baptism is essential for salvation. You mentioned Acts 2, uh, verse 38 specifically. Um, and then, you know, of course, 1 Peter 3.21, that's a good passage you go to. you got all sorts of things, Mark 16.16, 16, but... The idea is that you need to be baptized uh, in order to be saved. And some people will go, well, you know, I don't, I don't really know about that. 
I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. Uh, you know what? We, we need to teach people. You know, that, that they need to become a Christian. That's the way they have to do it. And then you have people go, well, what if someone's not baptized? What if someone dies on the way to, to becoming a Christian? Some people go, well, you know, that just doesn't happen. Hey, it does happen. Uh, several instances I've heard of. Uh, one in particular happened pretty close to me in, in, a, in a family member who went and they were teaching and they wanted to, uh, this guy to be baptized and they went and, and they studied with him and he was in the hospital and he said, no, I want to I go back, I want to I wait till I get home. And he gets home from the hospital and they come over and they're going to baptize him in the pool right outside and... and he says, well, before I go, i got to go to the restroom. And he went to the restroom. Five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes goes by. And he never left that room. It happens. And so we simply need to follow the directions given to us by God. We cannot wait until it's too late to teach people about coming to Christ. You know what else? Specifically for us Christians here, we cannot wait until it is too late to repent of sins. We have no idea how much longer we will live, we have no idea when the Lord will return. And having those things in mind, we shouldn't wait. We shouldn't wait to repent. We need to make things right while we have the moment. So they waited until it was too late. And I pray that we learn from them and realize that we cannot wait. Until it's too late for us. Next thing is that many of these people died with the pleasures of this world on their mind. You know, this, this is interesting because, you know, th- this is one of those things that, that we know from uh, these archaeological digs is that. You know, many of these people died grasping on to the things that they loved the most. You know, in certain cases, you, you have like a mother and a child. We understand that. But you know that there are several cases of people holding on to money bags and jewels and things like that. You know, what's the most important thing to them? Treasures of this world. How many of those people, you know, I'm going to guess that the majority of people were at those games. So did these people leave the games, go back to their homes, grab these treasures, 
and then leave? Is that what they did? They wasted precious moments? For what? Something that they definitely could not take with them when they died. Romans 12, verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In Matthew 16, and verse 26, For what profit is it to a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What is the most important thing? It's the soul. You can, you can get all the riches that you want. But in the end, those things pale in comparison to your soul. And last but not least... Something happened here that uh, doesn't always happen in that there was a heavy, heavy, heavy downpour of rain mixed with a heavy downpour of ash. And it basically made a form of concrete over these people. And so these people who died... They fell to the ground. They were wherever they were. They died. And they were basically encased in concrete. And later as archaeologists have come by, they started realizing this and they decided to start pouring, uh, pouring uh, things in there to, to, to use these as basically molds to see what had happened to these people. And then they start carving it out and they figured out that, you know, how these people died. And it's really, it's devastating. If you ever, if you ever are interested in looking at it, it's, it is interesting. Uh, but it, it really just tugs at your heart a little bit. And you know what? But their remains are a testament to us of devastation. Now, when we die, will we be a shining example or will we be a testament of devastation? You probably think of different names and I'm not going to name any, but people who have taught the truth Maybe they went off and started teaching false doctrine. Or maybe we found out that they were not living like they said everybody else should live. And they were not a shining example. But they were a testament of devastation. What are we going to be? Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith... Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead 
still speaks. As, as we, we uh, pass on from this world, how are people going to remember us? Are they going to remember us positively? Are they going to remember us in a negative light? What will people be saying after you die? Will people know the real you? Or will they only know the facade that you put on when you came to worship? Will people think kindly of you? Or will they wonder where you will be spending eternity? The main point is this. These people waited until it was too late. And we don't need to wait until it's too late. If you're not yet a Christian, you need to take care of that. We'll be glad to help you out with that. We'll be glad to help you put on Christ in baptism. But if you're already a Christian, don't wait to repent of sins. If you do, it's, it's just going to be your own fault. Well, we love you. And if you need to repent this morning or if you need our prayers, whatever the case, we want you to make that right with the Lord. We want, we want those of you who have not yet become Christians to do that too. Whatever the case is, if you need to respond to the invitation, please come as we stand as we sing.